Hello and welcome to The Fundamentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. I've spent my life trying to build something here. Growing up, a non-white, non-straight girl in Blue Springs, Nebraska. I wouldn't wish to excite your anticipation. I never asked to be made! You're exactly the hero I wanted you to be. The theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by R. Stoner, which is available on the Free Music Archive. My name is Kylie, and here with me are Gretchen. Hello! And Julia. Hi, guys! The three of us write for thefandamentals.com, exploring the fundamentals of fandom. That's, you know, all kinds of geeky news, reviews, analysis, uh, frenetic recaps, that sort of thing. <laughs> Here on The Fandamentalist, as I said, we are investigating geeky media, and we, like good investigators do, collect our news for the first bit of this. <laughs> so, what is happening in the geeky space? Well, Sunday, as everyone knows, was the Super Bowl, and one of the commercials that aired was the premiere for, or the trailer for Stranger Things Season 2. What's the Super Bowl? It's a, <laughs> it's a sports ball thing. It's a sports ball thing. Okay. Yep. Julia is a Canadian. <laughs> so it's like the Grey Cup? Sure. Well, <laughs> sure. the thing about the Super Bowl is that even if you are completely disinterested in the game, you have to watch for the commercials because everyone at the water cooler the next day will be talking about it. Oh, it's just like it. Game of yeah. Thrones. It's just like Game of Thrones, right? Although this one actually was dramatically satisfying, I would argue. Yeah. yeah. Like, the Lady Gaga sh halftime show was definitely dramatically satisfying. Yes. And then, I'm no Pats fan, I was rooting against them, but, you know, in terms of, you have to appreciate the game for what it was. Because they stopped like every five seconds, just kind of milled around for. It was it was 10 a minutes. it was a comeback the likes of which you don't normally see at a Super Bowl, Julia. Okay. Yeah, I think it's one of the first, if not the first, Super Bowl to ever go into overtime. They normally like don't go into overtime, which made everyone realize, wow, those overtime rules suck. Yeah. Anyway, so Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> there was a, there was this commercial where it had people saying "Lego my ego," and that was Stranger Things, right? Yes. It was a it was a 1980s Lego Myego commercial, <laughs> so that's why it made sense for Stranger Things because that's set in the 1980s. And there, there was also a commercial with like um, what's her face, Bella Swan, and pizza rolls that I heard a little bit something about on Tumblr. Maybe no, that's Saturday no, Night no. Live. That, that was, was a Saturday Night, Night Live sketch, oh, which was making fun commercial. of a Totino's commercial. Um, yeah. But that was good and gay. Yes, uh, very I think. Gay. The, I think the takeaway of this though was that Stranger Things is coming back on Halloween of 2017. That's right? yes. a very long time. I know, right? Have they not filmed yet? Uh, they're probably in production right now. Yeah. Is, I guess I don't really know how Netflix. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that seems very far away. Huh. Uh, speaking of Netflix, oh, I get to talk about this for obvious okay. reasons. Okay, yeah, because you are the Canadian. All right, take it away. Yeah, here. so Netflix is apparently remaking or rebooting Anne of Green Gables, which. Why? <laughs> Can it be a soft reboot where the original Anne is just chilling in the background? <laughs> yeah, well, it's going to uh, it's going to drop on May twenty first, um, just in time for May two four. Wow. Um, we can. The spend... reason Julia says why, by the way, is is because the original was perfection. Okay, nobody nobody can be Anne who's not Megan Follows. It's just a law of the universe. Like 
I'm sure they'll make a valiant effort, but they're going to fail because they don't have Megan Follows playing Anne. I agree. She was she 100% was perfect. Anne, surely, that's what she was. Yeah, she was. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if Netflix knows of their large femme-slash audience base. <laughs> Not to detract from Gilbert or whatever his name was. Yes. Gilbert, that was great, Gilbert Blank. But I know these I things. I mean, <laughs> Diane was, like, super in love with Anne, and that's not even subtle. I mean, no. I don't know. She ends up married to this, like, boring guy named Fred, which, like, who names her kid Fred? And she insists on kissing Anne first at her wedding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. I have no idea whether or not it's going to be the whole series or just yeah. Yeah. the first book. I mean, cause, because there's, because there's, there's, like, six books. Yeah. Ooh, I mean, nobody, I, nobody ever reads past Anne of the Island, so. I read all of them yeah. when I was younger. You ever, mm-hmm. you even read House of Dreams? No. Yeah, so <laughs> you read, you read Anne of Green Gables, Anne of Avonlea, and Anne of the Island. That's all anybody read. Oh, okay. I thought Anne of Avonlea came, yeah, never mind. Yeah. yeah that's Maybe Anne of the Windy Poplars. Maybe a couple people read that. But, uh, if you haven't read Anne of Green Gables or seen the original, do that. Treat yourself. It's just, it's just a better time. You, you grab a bosom buddy and mm-hmm. you just have, have a good old time in the Canadian wilds. Oh my gosh. Consider Island. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Just the fact that you just said bosom buddies and I'm thinking about <laughs> Diane and, or Diana and Anne and I'm just like, oh, ha. <laughs> They're bosom buddies. <laughs> it sells. It sells itself. I know, right? <laughs> Anne Anne is definitely interested in Gilbert, though. So Anne, Anne could totally be bisexual. Um, yeah. I think she she was a little confused by Diane. I think Diane was not confused by Anne. No. <laughs> she knew what she wanted, and she wanted the bosom. <laughs> she wanted to <laughs> be bosom buddies. <laughs> so I'm gonna try to be optimistic about this, but it's going to it's going to be uphill. Yeah, because of the lack of Megan follows. Just let us have the gay ship, Julia. You can have all the gay ships you want, but you like you can't have and no. No, I I I completely agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was just spot on perfect. You can't and those scenes were classic. You can't no. recreate that magic. I don't but even like know said, why they're doing this, but maybe really. maybe it's a soft relaunch, and the originals will still be there, and Megan Fellows will just be in the background, like she'll probably have a cameo. What if, yeah? What if she? It would be really hilarious if she was playing um the the mom. Yeah, that'd be cool. Like uh, the pole dark that's going on right now, they have the original pole dark playing like a judge. Oh, or or in Les Mis, they had Cole Wilkinson play the priest. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that she should at least make a cameo at some point. A lot of options. Oh, this is a segue, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, veteran uh, Battlestar Galactica actor Richard Hatch has just died uh, today. I think right today is February eighth. Yesterday. Mm-hmm. Was it yesterday? Yesterday. So, February yeah, the 7th. Yeah. Well, he played Apollo in the original Battlestar Galactica from the 70s, like 79. And then he played Tom Zarek in the reboot, which was a far superior character in every way. But um, <laughs> the story with him, like, in the BSG fandom is that he was very, very, very opposed to the reboot when it first started. Mm, Especially really? to, like, all the gender swapping that they did. <laughs> like, he was like, what do you mean? What do you mean Starbuck is a girl? You can't do that. Well, but, who held a gun to his head and made him act in it? No, no, but, like, he basically saw the pilot, and he's like, okay, yeah, I'm sold. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> because the pilot of that show is, like, that show peaked, or, like, the first, 
Like, probably the peak of that show was, like, 33, which is the first episode of the first season. So... Oh, just like Game of Thrones. Yeah. But, <laughs> like, it, it didn't get bad. Like, it wasn't... I don't th- I don't think it got bad until the last half hour. But, like, it was the first yeah. season and maybe the second. That was really, like, top-notch Battle Star Galactica. But, um... Kind of sounds like Lost, actually. But, yeah. Well, that's sad. That's Yeah, those were really sad. the two roles that he was known for. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember actually ever seeing him in anything else. I don't either. Well, I'm I am sorry to hear that again. Sorry to hear that 2017 has not made all of our celebrities immune. <sighs> Sadly. Yeah. Uh, in happier news, Steven Universe is in the middle of some new episodes releasing, and we feel that we need to announce this because otherwise, how the hell else does anyone know when to watch these episodes? <laughs> so you know, because the, the next you're... morning, Bill and Gretchen have a review. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So by the time you're listening to this, uh, there will have been an episode on Friday and then two more in the pipeline. Yep. Uh, I think airing weekly, yeah. right? Weekly on <laughs> so. Fridays. So I think from what I understand, I don't know if it's beyond these three, but... I'm sure not. Yeah, it's Cartoon, it's Network. Cartoon Network and it's Steven Universe, which means I don't know. <laughs> well, it could be worse. It could be Adventure tre- Time. That's true. I was going to say, they're treating Adventure uh, Time even worse because they're like, ah, oh, you're on your way out anyway. Let's just not even mark it. It's like, um, okay, but the show's really good right now. <laughs> so. Uh, another thing that just dropped on Friday was the Lego Batman movie, and... I have no reason to talk about it other than the commercials look really funny for it. And I like the Lego Batman character because he reminds me of Batman from the DC abridged YouTube parodies. (laughs) (laughs) Just takes himself so seriously and it's just wonderful. Yeah, I don't know. Hopefully it's good. Oh, and while we're talking about Gotham City, guess what comes out in two days? Oh, no. Kylie's Kylie's favorite thing in the world. I want Kylie back. (laughs) It's so good, guys. Kylie, I'll make a deal with you. Every time you start talking about what, Batwoman, I'm going to start talking about CrossFit. I mean, I will have earned it, but I just feel like there's more to say about Kate Kane than there are to say about your burpees. My burpees are pretty epic. Your burpees don't have daddy issues. <laughs> You're underestimating my burpees. Yeah, Bat- Batwoman Rebirth comes comes out on Wednesday. Uh, I've I've written articles on how to catch up. We had Griffin on our last episode talking about why you should be reading Batwoman. So we'll link both of those. But do check it out. And just DC Rebirth in general has been killing it. The Detective Comic Rebirth that kind of started with her, like her run in it recently just uh, reintroduced a villain in their last episode. Is it the that is really cool. What is it? Penguin. No, it's not good. It is a female antagonist, but I don't want to give spoilers. It's just really good. (laughs) No. Julia, you're really trying to get her to say the name, right? I I have to. I'm just naming all of the female bat villains I know. Well, yeah, you you hit, you know. It's Harley Quinn. Okay. I'm not going to talk about it, but. And no. But yeah, that's it. I think think that's all the news we had written down. Mm -hmm. You guys able to think of anything else? No, I'm just really excited about Steven Universe. Yeah, me too. I mean, like it's um, so good, and they finally have um Funko Pops for Lapis and Peridot, yeah. and who was there's another Lion, Lion. I kind of need Lapis. I think I don't know if Rose already had one, but if she not, Rose had one. She was in the picture of the Funko Pops. Yeah, I don't think she had one. Why did she get one before like Sapphire and Ruby? But okay, or Greg. Poor Greg. Oh, everyone Greg is like Greg. the brand of Steven Universe Funko Pops. <laughs> Oh, that's a sore 
sore topic. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we got we got to move on. We've got an action packed episode ahead. So Me let's too. transition. I was gonna say that was a nice segue. You mentioned Bran. <laughs> <laughs> this episode That's will be full true. of hatred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What do you mean by that, Julia? Because we're going to talk about hate watching. (laughs) There will be no positive emotions from now on. I have to get it back or somebody's going to have my ass. Yep, hate watching. Uh, It's a thing that people do. It's a thing that Julia Gretchen and I certainly do. It's a thing we're kind of making a career out of. Weirdly. I was going to say. How did this happen to us? I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> we're very we're not very hateful people no. i don't think i think I, I tend- 2016 man just mm-hmm. made us all bitter about well, something there, there was just an anger in my gut but but we were <laughs> we were hate watching before that's true you guys like, were yeah yeah for sure so let's first talk about what is hate watching which seems like a really dumb thing to say but <laughs> Like, I think the prequels of Star Wars are terrible as just a, an art form for a coherent story. And yet, I will watch Attack of the Clones, and I'm not, like, angry. I kind of think it's really funny. Yeah, you get so get drunk. Yeah, like, I'll have a beer and just, like, watch him being like, oh, Santa's rough and coarse oh and irritating. Oh, my gosh. Like, oh, not like you. George Lucas. You're smooth. You just know how to write women. Uh. <laughs> um, but, like, to me, that's not hate-watching. That's ironic enjoyment, a la watching The Room. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think we need to say why we're talking about hate-watching. Because it's something that we have all been accused of doing, and it's typically a very negative. People are like, why do you hate-watch it? Just don't watch it. Just move on. I know, and my favorite part of that suggestion is it's it's as if it's never occurred to us mm-hmm. that we don't have to watch the show. Wait, you mean I oh. can turn my TV off? What? Yeah. My TV just, has an off I, switch? Somebody I tell the president. No idea. Dang it. <laughs> so one of the reasons we want to talk about this is we want to explain why this is a thing that we do and why we think this is a valid thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not just being spiteful people just because we hate the universe although in fact you know the things we hate are coming out of to me a place of love yes like let's take game of thrones just you know elephant in the room that's what we talk about a lot Mm -hmm. it's an adaptation of a song of ice and fire which we love Mm -hmm. so there's part of watching that show that's like our defense of that there's another part of the show where it's like we hate narratives that are told on the backs of marginalized people right because we love when people don't feel like shit i guess you know what i'm sorry this is reminding me of cersei's speech at the end of uh season six where she's like i do this because it feels good (laughs) (laughs) it feels good not to have my children die um is that really why you're motivated (laughs) i like because i do feel especially Especially during season five, and season five was kind of like a breakout moment for Game of Thrones criticism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It all came from that place of like wanting to defend a song of ice and fire, of like explaining in detail to people exactly why this is not a song of ice and fire, and you should not judge it because of this show. <laughs> right. Well, and for like for the show that I watch, which mm-hmm. I hate watch, which is the hundred. 
And for Game of Thrones, part of it comes from the fact that, like, we all once enjoyed this piece of media. And not, like, not just the source material. Like, season one of Game of Thrones had issues, but it was, like, still pretty good. Yeah. Like, it was enjoyable. I have some skeletons in my closet on Westeros.org. Yeah, she does. And they may or may not involve me saying I think the show is better than the books. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. I know. No, seriously, I was an ardent Game of Thrones fan through three seasons. Uh, And season four, I think I had my defense blinders on. Yeah, you were adorable. (laughs) And then it just all came crashing down in those last two episodes, man. But yeah, I think I think that's a really good point, Gretchen, is that we we liked it so much and we we felt fulfilled by it and we felt excited by it. Right. So hate watching frequently comes from a place where this was a piece of media that I once enjoyed and it has gone downhill slash betrayed me slash is no longer as good as it used to be. Mm-hmm. And that's frustrating. And I want to talk about why why that is and what's wrong with it now, because I used to love this and it could be better. Yes, I agree with that. And then there's also the um, larger implications of kind of pushing for betterment of media makers, mm-hmm. pushing for responsibility and sort of just follow through on implications yeah. right. and things like that. Because one of the things we hate the most <laughs> of all <laughs> is unfortunate implications that, again, make certain people feel like shit mm-hmm. or have takeaways that are, you know, potentially very damaging. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we kind of want an accountability for. Right. In a way. And in the case of Game of Thrones and The Hundred, I mean, Game of Thrones is the most popular show. Right. Mm -hmm. Period. To Sean Spicer this. Uh, (laughs) And it's winning all the Emmys. So when there are other media creators that are looking how to make a success, that's a formula they're going to be looking at, right? Right. And with The Hundred, we're talking about a show that's very popular with a rather... I would say vulnerable demographic being yep. teens. Yep. And it's really like our messaging in kids shows are so meticulously crafted, but then like f- for shows with huge young adult audiences that can't just fall off. No. Right? Like you still need to be thinking about these things. And mm-hmm. are there any takeaways that might be damaging to someone who's maybe like developing hormonal feelings for the first time? Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that sort of thing. Right. Well, Game of Thrones had such a cultural impact, and it still does. Like you said, it's what a lot of people are going to be trying to design their shows after. I know, right? Like everything is like the new Game of Thrones. It's what people want to be. So there's a point to talking about something, especially for you guys in season five, when Mm -hmm. you were some of the only critical voices of the show at all, like in media. Everyone else Star. just like couldn't say enough good things about Game of Thrones. Which was really weird mm-hmm. because like season four kind of fell apart a little bit at the end narratively. Yeah. Just With in the this construction. <laughs> yeah. Well it maybe maybe the only reason we were able to see that is because we had that book knowledge. But then like season five, the first four episodes, those screeners that were leaked so a lot of us watched those first four episodes and they were what all the reviews are based on and the reviews mm. were glowing and those episodes were objectively hot messes yeah like I worse mean, than what came after them even mm-hmm. th- those were the worst four episodes of the season by far and the episodes were 
Oh, the the reviews, as Julia said, were all glowing, minus maybe to seem fair and balanced, they'd say something negative mm-hmm. about the Sand Snakes. And just, I don't know, I, I said at the time, I don't know, tinfoil hat time, all the reviews were suspiciously similar. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there were, there were even comments about how, like, they got the tone of the novels in certain scenes. Like, they always talked about that little finger Sansa scene as getting the tone of the novels. <sighs> I think I just, like, what books are you reading and what show are you watching? And, like, you kind of... <laughs> You kind of start to question your own sanity at that point. <laughs> so, so the reason mm-hmm. we do hate watch, I think, if if I can get at what we've all been talking around, maybe, is that we do find that there's a value to opening up these discussions, right? Yeah, especially when there's media that is touching so many people. Um, and you know, it's it's like anything. The shows we love, we still call out problematic elements, yeah. like. Steven Universe, I think we can all agree the one bismuth plotline kind of was an odd choice to put where they did. Yep. Yeah. And leaving it hanging like that had some unfortunate implications. Mm-hmm. It did. Yep. Uh, I, do, I do trust the crew universe to pick it up and handle it with a sensitivity moving forward. Mm-hmm. They, they have, do have so the far. benefit of the doubt. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But, you know, y- you can like shows and call out shitty things. Right. Right. So, so why does not liking a show mean that you suddenly are not allowed to call out shitty things you're too biased because i I mean you're not too biased when you love a show right like because so like by that logic people who enjoy a show are not allowed to say positive things about it right (laughs) because they're too biased because they already like it the only people who can review shows are people who feel nothing (laughs) robots we need to we need to find a way to program robots to review television shows (laughs) we probably could with some of these reviews (laughs) Honestly, we could probably design a formula for Game of Thrones reviews. Yeah. Well, I think an- um, another thing I think we should mention is that there's value in hate watching for people for whom the material might be too hard to watch or who don't want to watch it but still want to keep up with the conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I stopped watching Game of Thrones after season four. But I feel like I might as well have watched season five and six. <laughs> like, I basically have just through written form. Um, well, we, we are thorough. <laughs> right. And, like, there's value in that, in in providing that service to people who no longer want to mm-hmm. actually engage with the show but still oh, want to know what's going on. Or who, who want to participate in the water cooler conversations even. Right. Yeah, I actually love sidelining shows in general, is what I call it. Um, So for The 100, I haven't watched it. I watched the scene where Lexa got shot. That's the one bit of The 100 that I've seen. But I certainly was keeping up with what you were writing about at Gretchen last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all the way through with the alley. Is that is that how it's pronounced yes. in the show? Or is it A-L-I? Okay. It's pronounced yeah, with the alley plot line and, like, all the shenanigans that were going shenanigans down. Shenanigans is a good word. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it is a very good word. <laughs> Um, so I just feel like, you know, I was able to sort of understand the pain of a lot of the people who I follow on social media and who I interact with on social media, certainly, mm-hmm. and was able to really tap into that dialogue. And that dialogue was also necessary when it was contextualized against, as as we were dubbing it, the spring slaughter, right? Right. Where we were seeing all these, uh, you know, lesbian and bisexual women characters dying like in mass mm-hmm. it, was, it was as if media creators got together and they're like we're, we're gonna execute order 66 <laughs> now <laughs> sorry it did kind of feel like that no it, it it was just kind of relentless it was yep. 
like every it's just like and and this week the magicians yeah it's just like every like, morning oh, i would wake up and like refresh my tumblr feedback when i used to do that oh my god I was <laughs> guess what child. the walking like, dead just did yeah right? like yeah. guess which show killed a lesbian this week let's see and oh yeah god. that's that's really what it felt like right and I know, like, for me, I'm sure Kylie and Gretchen, you both feel the same way. I have learned so much about writing and about, like, literature in general, just trying to figure out exactly why something doesn't work. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know? And Well, you, you grow from mistakes. I mean, yeah. sometimes when something works, it's a little ineffable to peg down, mm-hmm. like, what is it? What what did work? You know, why did Crossroads of Destiny work so well as an Avatar The Last Airbender episode? And you can point to the, maybe it was the subversion of the redemption arc. Is that what worked? But then if you see something else that executes a similar sort of thing poorly, mm-hmm. you can really kind of like hone in on, on okay, so what, what makes this vibe and what makes this doesn't? Right. Right. And like, I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt critiquing game of thrones and just the logic of everything has made me a stronger writer for like my crappy fanfic oh for sure i mean even just like having a feel for the way that dialogue shouldn't work i mean that sounds so weird but just like you know when you hear all these all these conversations yep you're just kind of like okay you don't do that yeah don't do that (laughs) (laughs) it's a little hard to explain but just like you know, when when I write dialogue now, I'm very conscious of, like, everything kind of being connected, like, one utterance being connected to the other, you know? I right. understand that that's important now. Mm-hmm. And- totally. Yeah. I mean, I think we're all writers of various kinds, and mm-hmm. one of the ways that we grow is by engaging in media that both does things well and then doesn't. Yeah. And I think media that pushes you out of your comfort zone, too. And hate-watching, like, the shows that we hate-watch, for me... Often watching Game of Thrones is a viscerally unpleasant experience. Yes. Mm. I mean, when we do the rewatches, it takes me forever to rewatch scenes. And rewatches, I'm better, but the first time through, I have a lot of anxiety mm. usually about what's going to happen. And, and, you know, like, I couldn't eat or sleep for like a week after watching Unbound, Unbound, Unbroken. That's not how I should feel after watching a TV show. No. Right? Like, it's supposed to be entertainment. Yep. No, because usually when, you know, writers are developing and being educated, they always, they emphasize, you know, the positive examples, like, you know, read some Hemingway, (laughs) whatever. And, but I I do think there's- Hemingway could have used an adverb, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I I do think there's, there's value in, you know, watching shitty stuff. Like, I learned so much about directing and like, you know, um, just like the visual aspects of filmmaking from watching Red Letter Media Reviews, like explaining why exactly the prequels didn't work, you know? Oh just my stuff God. I never would have access to, like stuff you don't notice when it's done well. Right. But you're just like, oh, it's all in shot, reverse shot, and that's boring. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what shot, reverse shot was before then, you know? I agree. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. I think hate watching is a bad rap. Like, yeah. Yep, I do too. Well, you know, why don't we turn off the TV? Because we want, we want to leave it on. Mm-hmm. Even if we're not physically enjoying the program, we do at least get fulfillment out of the conversation afterwards yep. in some level. And fulfillment in the converse, like in making these critiques accessible mm-hmm. to yes. other people yep. as well. Yep. Yeah, and just like and w- people don't it's- people don't really see it as literary analysis, but that's what it is. It is. It's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you can hate read something. You can, but people yeah, yeah. Too. I don't know. I mean, you I have mean, very I angry hate, book I hate read books in high school, but yeah. that was because I had to. Yeah, you, <laughs> nobody, exactly. nobody called that hate reading. You know, like you were you were forced to read a separate piece, and it was horrible. And then you wrote like a slightly snarky book report about it, but you never call that hate reading. No, I'm not yeah. sure why not. I will admit that there are some shows that I watch where I'm feeling negative towards it, and I probably should just not watch it, like Fuller House, <laughs> which I wouldn't even call that hate watching. It's more like really, like really, this show exists, <laughs> and I just watch it, and I'm like, really, they thought this gay joke was gonna land in 2017. So it's it's not like I, I will admit that sometimes I can get a little stuck in my own curmudgeonly brand, but I think for the most part, the shows that we truly hate that we engage with i think those have more deep-seated reasons or like um westworld which mm. i actually think i might not watch season two of because it's just an unpleasant show <laughs> but it's a similar thing because it's, it's on hbo it's trying to be the next game of thrones once game of thrones goes away and you know there's a value to that so i mean i think there are all that to say there are lots of reasons to hate watch and it oftentimes feels like hate watching is a way to just label someone and dismiss criticism because yes. you don't want to engage with the criticism. It's like calling someone a social justice warrior, which I mean, not exactly yes. the same because that's kind of a badass insult, but whatever. Like it's similar. I, I love social justice warrior as an insult because like the opposite of like, what else would you be like a private equity warrior? I, I just don't <laughs> understand. Right. But like all the people who throw that label, it feels like what they're trying to do is just say, I don't have to pay attention to your criticism because we all know you just like hating on the show. Well, can we call it love watching if it's in the other direction? <laughs> yeah, we love watching. Well, movies. I don't have I don't have to listen to your reviews because you just love watching. Right. You you like it too much. You're not objective. <laughs> I fucking love Legend of Korra, and I will rant about how much I hate the ending of season one for, like, right. two hours. You know, it doesn't mean you're out of balance just because your end conclusion of do you like the show? No. Like, that that doesn't mean that you're incapable of thought. <laughs> right. And that's the criticism, is that somehow being biased against something means that you can therefore therefore your your arguments against it are invalid because you already are prejudiced against it and that's not and is it prejudice if that bias is earned right yeah. that's such but, a good point like the like show if, has, has if a guy comes up to you every, every day and punches you in the face is it like unwarranted that you cringe every time you see him no i mean no. i may have been prejudicial towards westworld mm -hmm. because of because of the tropes and because of the patterns of media creation based on Game of Thrones. So I think that's fair that maybe I didn't go into Westworld with as much of an open mind as I could have. But at the same time, it was, like you said, it's the it's the reaction against the guy coming and punching you in the face. Mm -hmm. If, if I'm seeing signs that are very similar mm -hmm. to Game of Thrones, I'm going to be wary of that. Right, right. And we really did like it. <laughs> right, and that's something that... Yeah, is true of all of us for the shows we hate watch was that there was a period when we enjoyed this. I guess I really liked Full House when I was a kid. <laughs> we all watched it, I know that. Yeah. Not sure why. That was very common. <laughs> I don't know. The Olsen twins are cool. Right. So all of that to say, we think we think this is a valid thing to do. We think this is a valuable thing to do. And people who don't like it 
I mean, we'll just throw the argument back at them. If you don't like the fact that we're hate watching, maybe you shouldn't read our stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Take that. <laughs> Mwaha. Maybe there are no good guys. All right, so for our fun segment this time, we're going to do, we're, yeah, it's super fun. We're going to do a seven part series about David Shelsnick and the maxims of adaptation. Uh, back in the day, like one of the first pieces I wrote actually was, um, about his max, like his maxims of adaptation. So Shelsnick was the man who, uh, adapted Gone with the Wind to the screen, right? Um, most people, like, don't seem to be aware of the fact that Gone with the Wind was a book before it was a movie, but it was a book, a really bad book before it was a movie. Um, an even more racist book. Uh, and, and he made a film that's generally considered one of the most successful adaptations of all time. And this was after he made two other very successful adaptations of uh, of Dickens novels, actually, David Copperfield and A Tale of Two Cities. So he knew what he was talking about in terms of adaptation. And another thing that he... So, so Julia, did he, like, write down his maxims and nail them to the church door? I mean... He may, well, what he'd like to do is he was an amphemidine addict. And what he'd like to do is dictate really long, rambling memos to his secretary in small hours of the morning. <laughs> and th- these were usually like letters to specific people, like <clears throat> possibly unsolicited. But and one of them was a very long discussion he had um with uh Sidney Howard who was the screenwriter from Gone with the Wind where basically he, he was going through like, you know, the things that he should consider um when he's adapting the script from the novel and kind of seven basic principles emerge. Like he didn't like make seven bullet points or anything like that, but seven basic principles emerge from this memo. And in this series, we're going to go through all seven of them. I think all seven of them are quite insightful and they're quite like relevant, you know, they're very relevant today for adaptations. Especially in, in this world of, you know, reboots, mm-hmm. soft relaunches and more and more. Adaptations. And just, yeah, people yeah. being mm-hmm. afraid of original properties for some reason. Um, but Maxim- yeah, I mean, I guess that's part of it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, would you not scream in delight if the BBC announced a mini series of Harry Potter? I'm not sure how many it could be, but yeah, kind of. See- I mean, I'd be worried about child actors, but you know, <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's just like his yeah. dark material. It's just like I'd love an actual live ad- adaptation, but can can you like imagine a 13 year old who could handle playing Lyra? No, you're right. Let's just do like Studio Mirror or something. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so the first adaptation. The first uh, principle is basically um, it's much better to chop out whole sequences than it is to make small deletions in individual scenes and sequences. So if you have ever read Gone with the Wind, uh, number one, I'm sorry. Number (laughs) two, there's all this stuff that's just like cut out. Like two most famously, uh, most famously of all, uh, Scarlett O'Hara actually has three children in the novels, right? She basically has like a child per husband. And... In the movie, they're nowhere to be seen. The first child that she has is Bonnie, right? Who's like really the only important one. She's she's a horrible mother. Um, <laughs> so his argument was just like, you know, if you can't take the time to talk about these two other kids and explain exactly why, you know, Scarlett was just the most disturbingly detached, unemotional mother ever, just like, you know, don't have them. And just this point is often kind of, you know, it's paraphrased, just it's better to cut something than to change it. If you can't do it well, then just don't do it. Mm. Um, 
And the one major reason for this, especially when you're talking about text to visual adaptation, is just time, right? There's time restrictions. Like people will, are willing to read giant books, giant book series, mm-hmm. but they're not so willing to watch a five hour long movie, at least, you know, not without a potty break. Um, Unless so, it's Pride and Prejudice. But that, that was a miniseries. <laughs> that was a six That's episode true. miniseries. I will watch it in one sitting. I have I watched care. it in one sitting. That's true, but that's, that's not the <laughs> point. And, you know, novels can have things like, you know, side characters and subplots and, like, long digressions yeah. like War and Peace just, like, stops the plot every once in a while to have an essay. Uh, you can <laughs> I have, mean, like, that's a feature of, like, 19th century. <laughs> yeah. But, you can yeah. have, like, you know, prologues and epilogues that are only very tangentially related to the main plot. But, you know, Shelsick's advice was really just you don't have to feel obligated to put in every subplot, every prologue, every essay about the nature of history. And because, like, what you'll end up with is, is probably just rushed. You'll end up with right. just the main plot that, and, like, nobody will be happy because nothing will be rushed. Nothing will be done justice. And, mm-hmm. you know, you you can have that side character who is very memorable and very funny, but, like, just, you can't, you can't be attached to those kind of things that aren't essential. And you can't reduce things that are significant. Es- essential, yeah, yeah, essential is the key. Yeah, but, you, like, he also, like, said specifically, you can't reduce things that are significant, but, like, periphery to just, like, a cameo. That doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can't, you, you couldn't have, you know, her little son, Bo, what was his face? I forgot his son. But you can't have, like, you know, a significant character just being reduced to a cameo because you don't have time to develop him. That's, that's right. like, an injustice. Yeah, so you either just cut it or, mm-hmm. yeah. And just the kind of, the most famous example of this done well, in my opinion, in recent memories, of course, Tom Bombadil <laughs> in, in the Lord of the Rings movies. Like, Tom Bombadil is, um... Like you, a fucking weird character. Yeah, but you can kind of like it's kind of like a shibboleth for Tolkien fans. Like you're only a real Tolkien fan if you totally get Tom Bombadil, which is why I'm not a real Tolkien <laughs> fan because I do not get it. <laughs> you know, like like the real Tolkienites are just like, yeah, Tom Bombadil. He's like hardcore. He's like super old or something. I don't know, but they they like Tom Bombadil. But like the dude is a weirdo, and he has this like one chapter. And then he goes away, and you're just, like, not sure what happens, and just, just like, that was weird. Okay, now we're at brief. Okay. But, like, imagine if Peter Jackson tried to adapt Tom Bombadil. Like, imagine if we had, like, ten minutes of just, like, this dude in boots and a vest, just singing really weird songs and introducing us to his wife. Like... I think that would have worked fine, but at the same time, I appreciate for parsimony of scale why he was cut out. Right. Yeah. And they did give some of Tom's lines to Treebeard. Who didn't mm-hmm. sing them exactly? No. Does that would have only been in an extended scene too? Only real Tolkien fans get it. <laughs> exactly. No. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I I agree. Tom Bombadil would have been a a difficult character for the visual medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To at least give that like seriousness to the quest that Frodo was on at that point. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. If anyone's a real Tolkien fan and gets what the fuck is going on with Tom Bombadil from a narrative perspective, please tell me. We we'll link we'll link Katie's part of the reread when yeah. in, in the House of Tom yeah, Bombadil. Katie's but, a real Tolkien fan, that's for sure. Yep. She's one hundred percent. Yeah. Um although that we also Barbara did write that piece on why Lord of the Rings is a terrible adaptation. We'll link that too. <laughs> See, we're balanced. <laughs> Fair and balanced. Yeah. And kind of a counterexample to this, I, and I, I suppose, like, you know, cutting entire subplots out done badly would be, like, Harry Potter 4 is you know, the thing that oh immediately God. springs to mind. Uh... Where, like, they overdid it, I think. 
Because like um with cutting it yeah, out. Yeah, in the fourth in the fourth Harry Potter movie, which was supposedly an adaptation of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. This is what I'm told. I don't know, that's what they named the movie. Um they cut out kind of most famously, they cut out the entire plot with the house elves and uh, spew the Society for the Promotion of Elfish Welfare. Uh and most people agree that this probably was a mistake, not so much because like we missed the house elves so much. It's just like we were a little confused at their argument that they didn't have time where we literally had five minutes of Harry being chased on the roof by a dragon. And the Yule Ball Reeve. Yeah, it was actually several extended scenes too, which is more Yule Ball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just more Yule Ball. And- well, I mean, that movie made a lot of interesting choices mm-hmm. in that regard. Because like, I, f- I feel like the Barty Crouch storyline had to have been incomprehensible to anyone who didn't know the books. Right? Oh, ab- like, absolutely. Like, why is M- Moody licking his tongue at this guy? Like, it, it just... <laughs> Yeah, I, I actually thought you were going to talk about um, Half-Blood Prince, though. I thought you were going to talk about Horcruxes, oh, which they kind yeah. of half-assed. Yeah. They kind of half-assed through those in, mm-hmm. the flashbacks I mean, it's really, Tom. It's really the same thing as the Barty Crouch problem. Like, right. it was incomprehensible to anyone who didn't already know what was going to happen, just because... Right, well, they ha- they, they half-assed... Mm-hmm. My point is, they, they half-assed the flashbacks of Tom Riddle's life, so we got two. Yeah. And that was it. And they were, like, not, or, like, or narratives at all, you know? They were just kind of <laughs> flashes... <laughs> Mm-hmm. It was pretty bad. Um, yeah, it was two. It was two. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really the same thing because in the source material, the narrative is constructed around solving those two particular mysteries. Mm-hmm. So that's not the kind of stuff you can skimp out on. <laughs> you no, know. it's the plot. It's, it's the, the plot. plot. It's the plot of the movie. The mystery plot is the plot of the movie, yes. And like, the, <laughs> like you know, Hermione and Ron's love life is not so much the plot of the movie. No. <laughs> as, as much as uh, I'm kind of a weird shipper, like, no, no. Of Ron and Hermione? I like. I want them to make Girl. it work. I'm sorry. No. They probably. I, I realize <laughs> that they probably won't, but I'm rooting for them. Okay. Sure. <laughs> we'll give you that. <laughs> and um, I think I think another counterexample for this being done poorly was if anyone has seen the Bollywood <gasps> adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice. Definitely is on yeah. Bollywood. The- Oh, well, they like for some reason they still felt that they needed their Lydia mm-hmm. to run off with Wickham, but like they just didn't do it well at all, no. and it became kind of like the equivalent of these two just they went to the mall together and then they came back. Like that's kind of <laughs> like the it, was, it, it was it was literally given. like that. It's like and that's always it makes no sense. That's always a very like um that's always a very pressing problem when you have an adaptation that changes settings like that. Especially mm-hmm. when you change entire value systems, you know? Right. Like, you know, Linnea and Wicca running away has implications that it just simply can't have in, like, the year 2000 or wherever, whenever it was that this movie was made. Mm-hmm. When a 16-year-old runs off, when a 16-year-old girl runs off with, like, you know, a 28-year-old man these days, we're not so worried about her reputation, you know? That's not really our right. concern. I feel like this is where the uh, checklist effect comes into mm-hmm. with this particular maxim, too. Because mm. it's like, you know, there's kind of the, the feel that you need to throw it in just so you can check off that it happened. But if you're not giving the plot point the context it needs... And to be fair, there's always armies no- of raging snobs who will yell at you for taking things out, even if it is necessary and even if you do it well. Right, because that's a different situation than, mm-hmm. say, sticking with Pride and Prejudice, than, say, like, collapsing some of the younger sisters. Yeah. Like, as obnoxious as I find it, because I've read the book, that, like, right. certain adaptations don't have all five <laughs> sisters. Yeah, and the, I like, can there's kind very... of under... 
I can I can understand doing that if you only have like yeah. two hours. Yeah, and just like every every movie version of Sense and Sensibility doesn't have Margaret. Like the miniseries might have them, but no movie has Margaret. You know, like, right, right, right. She's just not that important. Sorry, sorry, Margaret. <laughs> no, I think she's, the one with she's um, the Mariah Lucas. Yeah, the one with Emma Thompson has the the younger sister. Does it? Yeah. Oh, well, I, I have too. a vivid memory of of what's Hugh Grant finding her under a table. Oh, right, <laughs> right. They did this whole thing about like not knowing like, where the Nile yeah. River was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I stand corrected. It's an Abyssinia. <laughs> I stand corrected, but now. like, yeah. Um, usually, there is no Margaret. Like, right. you know, younger siblings can just be taken out. In but I think, like, okay, there might be snobs that yell at you, but you can't. You have to still mm-hmm. make a coherent narrative. Exactly. You can't just do things to. Because you're worried that people are going to get mad yeah, if you that's don't. That's the thing about it. an adaptation; it also has to be coherent on its own. Yeah, yeah. It it does have to stand on its own, even if it's inspired or based on or trying to directly adapt something. Mm-hmm. It needs to have its own success. Mm-hmm. So, yep. So, yeah that that was the first maxim. We'll be back with a second maxim. I'm sure you're on the edge of your seat for it. <laughs> don't read <laughs> no, my piece and be spoiled. Be unspoiled. <laughs> Or read it and then just listen to us length, like, extend the conversation (laughs) unnecessarily. Yeah, we should probably be encouraging people to read our pieces, not discouraging. Yeah, good call. Yeah, this is not a fanfic. This isn't about spoilers. (laughs) Oh, that's very true. All right, so our next segment, we're going to be talking about Julia's fanfic. No, I'm kidding. Wise old Bombadil. He was a wary fellow. Bright blue his jacket was and his boots were yellow. So, in the spirit... In the spirit of hate watching, we decided to hone in our conversation the last 20 minutes to talk about the hundred. Uh, you know, last year it was certainly, there was the whole Lexa being shot with a stray bullet of, of randomness thing. And that made waves in the hundred fandom and the femme slash fandom where yep. it's just very, very overlapped. The likes of which I have not seen before. Yeah. I don't think I've seen a fandom rise up and be pissed to that extent. I haven't either. Like, maybe, maybe when Sansa was raped. Maybe. But that um, was a flash in the pan. Maybe at the finale of BSG. <laughs> <laughs> or Lost. Okay, no, the Lost finale, definitely. Yep. But still, th- this is what we would call a fandom event. Yeah. I mean, to the point where there's an entire convention. <laughs> like, it, it spawned movements to talk about the representation of LGBT women in media. And now there is an entire convention devoted to the representation of LGBT women in media that I and our other contributor at the Fundamentals, Elizabeth, are going to be panelists at. So, like, this is a, this is a movement. This was a moment, like, a very significant, I would say an, a significant moment. Um, it's like L- Lamarck's death in Les Mis. It's the rallying call. Yeah, and and that's not to deny the importance of other deaths of queer women last year. It was just this was kind of the the straw that broke the camel's back. That then, like, or if you want to do another metaphor, it was the stone that created an avalanche. Single grain of rice that tipped the scale. Yes, <laughs> all all of okay. the metaphors. <laughs> it's just because this one was so baldly. For shock value, like, two seconds after they had sex, like, I still can't get over the timing of it. Right. And... It was, it was like, giving people a cookie and then punching them in the face. Right. 
And, I mean, to continue with that, it would be like telling people, I'm going to give you a cookie. You're really going to like it. It's going to be awesome. You should really enjoy this cookie. It's and, oh, look, the cookie has arsenic in it. <laughs> and, yeah, and then punching you in the face. It's like, they hyped it. They specifically said about trying to get the fandom involved and trying to engage the, the queer fandom to eat the cookie. <laughs> Because the best why why are we yeah these are so tortured <laughs> i don't know yeah no so i think i think it didn't diminish the other deaths but mm-hmm. it certainly made sense that this was kind of this centric event because it was just so unmotivated and so like contrived yeah in yeah. its execution yep. the fact that the target audience of that show is like you know so like young and specifically the way that the show itself kind of encouraged engagement with like young queer audiences Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you said. Yeah. So that's just that's just sick. It is. Yeah. So hate watching this show. That was when my hate watching began. No, <laughs> I mean there were there were elements before. That was like the big hate watching moment. But well, but there are elements you enjoyed before too. Right. Like if if I if I asked you your opinion after episode six last year, if I said Gretchen, do you like the hundred? What would your answer? My been? answer would have been I really enjoy it. It's got some things that I'm not happy with, but they could fix that. I don't think this yeah. hate watching like we talk about like you know the title mm-hmm. drop or like the the Jojen course exploding as like you know the moment that we became hate watchers or something like that but it's never that simple like you never no. it's never a switch where you're like all of a sudden you hate the show it's always actually the switch for me was you yelling at me but <laughs> okay um we'll, we'll talk about it after um like it's it's never that like you know one thing happens and all of a sudden you hate the show it's always that one thing that's just kind of just like makes you lose the benefit of the doubt it makes you lose right. any hope that the show can fix it right especially because that event was it's just over halfway through the season and then after lexa was killed off like the episodes after that there's a marked decrease in in like coherence and it's not just that like they were they were objectively not as good for lots of reasons so well also the shock killed off the one character that was really working for the show yeah um right like, like thematically and stuff yes yeah was she that? was was lexa oh so they killed somebody else what um well they did they did yeah, they, they did. actually killed well, they lots killed of people Lincoln, i remember that was yeah that, was- that was a yep that actually that made me just as mad mm-hmm. as as lexa being killed off so i will back up and yeah. say and explain my history with the hundred very very briefly a friend of mine whose opinion i wholeheartedly trust told me to watch it before before season three it was before season three because i watched season one and was like this is this is pretty good like it's it's this is a decent show um it could use some work it could be better but it's an interesting world i mm-hmm. you know i like the idea of a science fiction dystopia that's interesting i like some of the characters this is great i'll keep watching season two i think it was its best season oh yeah season two was the, the the mountain men thing yes it was good like it was so good the the <laughs> the mountain men subplot like the villain of that season is my favorite villain of of all of the hundred he's my favorite kind of villain the kind of they appear really benign mm-hmm. and very like gentlemanly and he's polished and like secretly very machiavellian like very pragmatic and is willing to do some horrible things for what 
could be considered reasonable goals. Just he's willing to, you know, drain people's blood and spinal fluid to protect his people. Um, <laughs> that's what it does. You know, that's a reasonable option. Well, you know, if it is life and death, I guess. Right. Like it was, it was a nuanced, that season I felt was very nuanced mm-hmm. in the way it portrayed its characters. We got to know the grounders better yeah. and they got more nuance to them. And the finale was like devastating in the way that it didn't pull any punches to the protagonist. Right. But it yeah. didn't, it didn't feel gratuitous the same way that season three felt. Right. And it didn't feel like it was as just nihilistically awful. Yeah, I mean, like, um, they, they showed that, like, you know, the dead kindergartners, you know? Like, it, it, was, it was not pulling punches. No. Like, you know, Clark killed a bunch of kindergartners. Yes. And, you know? And, but it was, it was so earned because, like, we spent the entire season learning that it was, like, it was the mountain people or it was everybody else in the entire area, you know? Like, and they couldn't right. coexist. And, right. Yeah. So, yeah, everything felt earned. Mm-hmm. And then... I would say the first probably six episodes of season three, like there were some pacing issues. I thought that they, yeah. So they were, they were like pacing issues that I think affected characterization in a way that I wasn't happy with, but it was minor. Yeah. Until they killed off Lexa. And the other thing to note is that there were a couple of writers who left the show after Lexa's death. Like, they were writers up until that episode, and then they don't write for the rest of the season. So Was that their choice? I don't I don't know if it was their choice or not. Okay, I, I don't want you to get too conspiracy theory. I just, right. that is suspicious. Yeah. So I don't know if it was their choice or not, but I know that at least one writer left the show after that episode. So there's a, I believe there's a, le- a legitimate criticism in that, the second half of the the third season was objectively not written as well. <laughs> um because it was and it wasn't just Lex's death, which I think was poorly scripted in the timing and and badly written and I think I will say something that's probably very controversial for certain people. I think they could have killed her off in a way that made sense. Of course. Well, like maybe the fight to the death she was in. Right. Like or a political assassination that didn't happen literally 30 seconds after she had sex with her girlfriend for the first time. Like there, there is yeah. a way that could have been done that made sense and would not probably would have been a, upsetting, but maybe not as upsetting. I don't know. Like that, I mean, just having it in that episode was ridiculous. Right. So like that was a problem. And then they piled on to that with what I like to call the character assassination of Bellamy Blake, where he massacred 300 people and then spent the rest of the season whining about why everyone was mad at him for doing it. And, <laughs> like, why can't you guys just forgive me? Like, maybe because you killed 300 people? Um, <laughs> for no reason? Like, yeah, like, he wanted to look nice, like, he wanted to look cool in front of his mentor, basically. Right. They did not. Oh, my God. Like, none of that arc made sense. Um, the repeated <laughs> blaming of Clark... For things that weren't even her faults. Yeah, it was very and, book to horror. Yeah. yeah, and her repeated need to apologize for those things. Secret Canadian. <laughs> to the point that even Stephen King, during an interview, was like, said something about how if the, the hundred can get through an episode without Clark saying I'm sorry, like, five times, then I'll consider it a success. Or something, <laughs> like, equally absurd, because it was... 
she was apologizing left and right for things that weren't her fault. Well, is is that like her character? Is it like internalized guilt? You know how I feel about people unnecessarily apologizing. No, it it felt like the narrative was just piling on. Okay. Like yeah. what it felt like to me, which may or may not have been intentional, was like, oh, yeah, this is what it's like to be a woman in a patriarchal system where everyone blames you for things that aren't your fault. Like, and part of it was no one would want to make a decision. And so they'd be like, Clark, you need to decide. And she would make a decision. They'd be like, well, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, And then she'd be like, I'm sorry. I was just doing what I thought was right. And I'm like, none of this makes sense. Like, <laughs> but this is what it feels like to be a woman in a sexist society, to be like, you know, I make a choice and then I have to apologize for it all the time. And it's supposed to be like a post, like not exactly right? post-gendered society. Like It's supposed to be post-sexist and post-racial, yeah. which is another problem that I have just objectively. I mean, your world, your world building can be post-racial. That doesn't mean that you as a creator can be post-racial because we don't live in a post-racial world. There's a difference. Yes. Right. And we're like, that was one of Harry Potter's biggest stumbles in my mind too. Like, would they really be post-racial when there's like all these muggle boards? I don't think that makes sense, but okay. Right. Yeah. So that, and that was a problem of the show. I think from the beginning was trying to do that. Um, that was a yeah. writing problem, but it, I think it got worse in the second half. You have the killing off of all of the minorities mm-hmm. last in season three. I actually have like a, a spreadsheet of all of the deaths in the hundred. Really? Yeah. Like I should make like an infographic for you or something. Yeah. Of all of the deaths in the hundred per season based on like whether or not they were primary, secondary, tertiary, or even unnamed characters. Because someone, oh someone tried to argue that everyone, you know, it's one of those, yeah, but everyone, anyone can die. Yeah. Oh, right. So, so it's okay man. that the, like, all the minorities are killed off because anyone can. Right. Mm-hmm. So my argument was, like, in others, in the first two seasons, there was a pretty even split between minority and non-minority characters' deaths. Sure. But in season three, there were 24 deaths total, so... <laughs> I told you, I have extensive notes. No, I know. I love that you know this. Um, Seven of them were primary or secondary characters. All of those seven characters were either women, people of color, or Lexa, who was both a woman and explicitly an LGBT character. Like, seven minority character deaths of primary and secondary characters in that season alone. And there were no, none of the other primary or secondary character deaths. None of them were white males. That was actually, um, while the season was airing, I got in trouble for this because it turned out that, uh, I said, like, there was one point where Kane was in a lot of peril and I kind of offhandedly mentioned somewhere, just like, I never for a second believed that he was actually in peril because I knew they wouldn't kill the white dude. Then I got yelled at because it turned out he's Hispanic, but (laughs) I thought he was white. So the point kind of remains, um, just like, at that point, even unconsciously, like, I hadn't seen your charts at that point. Just unconsciously, I knew that he could possibly be in danger. Right, because they never kill off mm-hmm. white male characters, whether they whether the actor you were is the show yeah. <laughs> whether the actor is a white male or not. The mm-hmm. perception of being a white male character, yeah, is never killed. They're never they weren't killed off this season. So you have all of that happening. Um, you have this shifting of of female characters out of power like abby has a part of abby's arc in the first half of the season is that she is bad (laughs) yeah she gets whipped and she's bad at being a doctor a mother and a chancellor like she's actually told like you know you can't be all of these things and do them well you just have to pick what you're good at 
and huh. ends up that's very Padme. Yeah, ends yeah. up abdicating the chancellor <laughs> position in favor of an election between two male characters. Oh God, Pike and Kane. Like, and related to that, you have Lexa and Naya, who were the leaders of the Grounders last season. Um, the new leader of the Grounder this season is a white guy. Um, hmm. and it's really like, nice apps. Right. He, d- he does. Um, is it Charles Wayne? No, it's Roan. I forget the, the actor's name, but Rowan, um, or Roan. I oh, okay. can't remember exactly what it's pronounced. But Charles Wayne is in the show, isn't he? Yeah, it's, it's Charles Wayne. It is? Yeah, that's, yeah, Charles Vane from, uh, Black Sails, the actor. Oh, okay. I was like, that's not he, his actor. You name. said nice abs. I'm like, this has to be this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and you, he could just know. rule because of his abs are so strong. Hold everything yeah. together. And we get, we get a long shot this season in the hundred of him cauterizing an open wound on his chest while he's half naked. So you get a long extended shot of his abs. I mean, dude, if you have abs like that. <laughs> right? They're gonna, I'm kidding. They're gonna take advantage of it. So just, wait, so are you saying that the show hasn't magically improved in between seasons? Um, I wouldn't, I actually wouldn't say that. Um, hmm. but, um, yeah, I can come back around to that. I want to wrap up all of the things that were horrible about last season, and then I can talk about what sure, I think sure. about the season. Um, all right, sure. All of the villains last season were minorities. Pike was a black man. Allie and Naya and Antari are all women. So for a show that's supposedly inclusive and post-sexist, you have women being shifted out of power in favor of men, and all of the bad guys are minorities that season. Um, you ha- you're including women and minorities. Yes, with that, like, like as in marginalized, maybe. Yeah, margin. So you? yeah, marginalized communities. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's that's a good correction. Especially yeah, like no, just just for clarity, because I was like, wait, there's more women than men, right? On the earth. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, so yeah, marginalized. Yeah, marginalized communities. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, you have the unaddressed rape of Murphy, which oh my I talked about in my piece on the importance of male victimhood. Uh, which, like, I don't even think the writers realized that they wrote a rape, but they did. They normally don't. Yeah. yeah, they did, and then didn't talk about it, didn't address it, never gets brought up in the narrative again. It sure as heck isn't going to come up now, um, based on what I've seen this season so far with Murphy. You have the graphic torture of teenage girls, which, need we remind you, is this, is this show's main audience is young girls and you have like raven slitting her wrists open on screen oh my god she's like strapped to a bed you have another instance of self-harm with raven luna another character is waterboarded on screen um and those are the biggies but i'm like there are a couple others were just like because i know people were getting like a little upset with cora's treatment in legend of cora because like she is put through the ringer a bit but i mean that's a cartoon where you're seeing you know the the animated kite pulled out of her like it's not right it's not really something you watch and be like oh my god i can relate to this and it's terrible right no this was this was just like torture porn of teen of the teenage girl characters oh yeah um clark gets like stabbed by her mom in what? in the People second to last episode yeah her mom is being mind controlled and she like stabs her daughter with a scalpel a couple of times like oh yay um like there's that, that's rude it's just gra- like, yeah, like graphic like suicide right and left and just like ugh. right Ugh. yeah and and again 
all pretty much all of the characters for whom like these horrible things happened were teenage girl characters. You did not see it with the the teenage male characters or with the adults. Not in this level, especially because they were like named characters, a couple of whom are main characters on the show. Um, it's not as shocking, I guess. I right? know. Well, yeah. It becomes um, edgier when it's a when it's a girl, right? So all of that, you have Pike's colonialist narrative and the Savage mm. Grounders. There's, I mean, there were so many problematic things last season. That was why I started hate watching because I was just like, what? What is this? This is this is torture porn interlaced with plots that make no sense, and character assassinations that that suddenly this character is doing things and they and they never explain it and I don't understand it and it's upsetting because I liked that character and I mean it it felt like when you guys talk about Game of Thrones was just like graphic <laughs> which was you know Jason Rothenberg says he wants to be the next D&D <clears throat> I think he is basically like good job yay, you did it you made it good job um, don't think you're gonna get an Emmy, but no. Okay. So all of that is why I hate watch the show, and and Stephen King does too. Oh, yeah. Thankfully, some yay. I'm not alone. <laughs> but yeah. I, Elizabeth and I go into pretty big detail about our frustrations with the season premiere on our Ladies First mm-hmm. podcast that went up. Yes. On this morning, so Wednesday morning of last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you will be listening to this. So, if you really want to hear all of the things, the plot holes so far, you can listen to that. <laughs> so far, um, is Corey is Corey on that episode just no. like silent? <laughs> no, okay. she's not. She's not there. Corey is because... never silent. My love. <laughs> yeah, we love her. No, we I know, but I was, I was just like trying to picture that dynamic. I was like, I don't, I don't think she's there. No, it was just Elizabeth and I. Yeah. Okay. So this, given all of that, I had low expectations for the premiere. Very, very low. Very low. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that bad. Like, and that's why I would say that it's not the same level of bad as it was last season. But again, I've only seen one. Well, by the time this airs, I will have seen two episodes. But as of this moment, when we are talking, I have only seen one. And uh, maybe the next episode will be like the most brilliant thing ever written. It could be. B. Um, well, they have to know that they need to do some PR repair work, right? Like, yeah, I I don't have high hopes for for Jason Rothenberg as a writer being able to to give me something brilliant, just because I don't think he's capable of <laughs> of giving me something brilliant. But I think based on what I've seen so far, I think he could give me something decent. Hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, but that I mean, again. I could all be entirely undone <laughs> in in the moment. I mean, he's still, I don't think he's done with the torture porn because we got an extended scene of um, Jasper attempting to commit suicide. Why? Or like, Why? Try, like about to, and then he doesn't. So on that I score, that's an interesting twist. I think we're going to get, I think we'll probably have more shock and awe stuff because i think that again game of thrones being the leader (laughs) this is what we're going to get shock and awe so i i yeah i don't know i will probably still be hate watching i just don't know what my level of hate is going to be this season yet and i hesitate to put a number on it just because like i said four right now i only have i only have one episode to go on um are you gonna keep up with your chart oh yeah your dead character chart oh yeah um, All right, good. Yeah. So far, it's 
just grounders, but Octavia is supposedly going to become Sky Ripper, some awesome assassin, dark spirit, whatever, which I'm actually kind of excited about. Um, so we could get a lot more deaths. Well, from her. there you go. <laughs> How to spot an INFJ, everyone. <laughs> Why? No, because, I mean, this is, have you seen my Asami hair clip chart? Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Girl. Yeah. <laughs> I get you. <laughs> yep. Well, what what we're going to do is link the most recent review of the episode that Gretchen has not seen yet. And you'll get to do some time traveling and be like, ha ha, you're so wrong about what you're saying. Or maybe just be like, yeah, she's right. Yep. Still torture porn. Yep. But yeah, that's just, uh, you know, I, I the reason we wanted to talk about The 100 is because I feel like Julie and I make a case for why we hate watch Game of Thrones very in depth. We have a podcast feed devoted to it. <laughs> but I think it's worthwhile, you know, The 100 is probably the other show that we really engage with that we just are quite negative towards that we don't have at least that we don't have the benefit of the doubt with that creator yeah i no longer based on all of the things i've said from last season i yeah he no longer gets the benefit of the doubt from me after all of the things that happened i just like i see no reason to give him the benefit of the doubt right so it's just i think that's always worth exploring like where we're coming from and you know it's not like Rogue One or Westworld where you'll see more of a diversity of voices among our writers. Like, we are pretty solidly not enamored with the show. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm, I yeah. Mean, Descent is welcome. It's it's not like we, if anyone wants to write, like, a happy glowing piece about the hunter, <laughs> I can do that. But I just don't see that coming our yeah. way. <laughs> Shockingly. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the people who like it, um, a lot of them fall into a very particular reason why they might like it is it bellamy blake yes yes i mean he had no choice but to massacre those uh, 300 people right and he feels so bad about it i mean pike might have like, thought that he wasn't cool i know he that. had to prove himself to because he has daddy issues which like that could have been interesting if we got more of the daddy issues thing um hmm. but his stated reason was because the the grounders killed his girlfriend that he had all of you know 30 seconds with on screen and um that made him sad so it was man pain yeah it was man yeah it's exactly what it was it was man pain and yeah and now and now it doesn't matter anymore because because bellamy feels bad and he's turning a new page now okay about some some quote bad decisions that he quote maybe made last season like that i'm not i'm not even joking that's a direct quote from the writer from jason rothenberg that maybe made yeah he maybe made some bad decisions (laughs) like i don't call killing 300 people a bad decision call that like a massacre yeah jason rothenberg you are officially D. &D. it was dramatically satisfying that that is dramatically well that's cogwin that said that poor guy yep but yeah, no, I was thinking of the Weiss quote. Like, any Weiss quote kind of sounds like that. Yeah. Where it's like, the dragon was sleepy and wanted to feel better. <laughs> <laughs> okay, dude. All right. On that note, uh, we're going to close things off for this week. 
if you have anything that you want to hear us talk about and dissect in particular, you can feel free to submit that. Uh, we have we have a contact us form on the website, thefandamentals.com. Yes, we do. Another thing you could do that would really help us a lot is if you write us a review on iTunes or rate us, but reviews help more, or tell us, uh, tell <clears throat> tell your friends about us, yeah. because... You you totally want to admit to listening to this in your free time. So <laughs> what? We're totally professional and cool. Yeah, we read Carmen San Diego fanfic on the feed. Okay. <laughs> that was awesome. And yeah, we we do hope to have more contributors on. Actually, today it was going to be an editor party with Elizabeth, but uh, she had to like sleep or something. <laughs> something like that. Stupid. Need sleep. So. Oh no, <laughs> so overrated. <laughs> I'm in bed by 10 every night. (laughs) (laughs) We're cool. All right. Well, it was good talking to you guys as always, Mm -hmm. and we'll see you next time. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.